tonight I want to give a shear as a continuation of the previous shear that I gave, which the current events, the update of current events. But I'm going to come from come to it, I should say, from a different perspective of what really seems to be going on, and it'll answer many questions, you know, in terms of what's happening. You know, <clears throat> I mean, one of the interesting questions is that, you know, even though Obama is no longer president of the United States, but we know he clearly has an input into Biden. In fact, we all know that Biden is not uh, dictating, you know, what the president should be doing, because we all see that. So then the question is, who's really running the show? There's no question that Biden is one of the main people running the show. And we, never really, we have never really seen that before. You know, most people, they become president and they do their own thing. And, uh, you know, they, they do whatever they do and they rule by themselves. But here we see that we have a complete ineffectual president, somebody who's completely cognitively challenged, and he has to even be instructed where they saw that, you know, the sheet of paper where they actually told him what to do, that he really is incompetent in terms of running the United States. So obviously that gives room for, Biden, uh, for, Trump, for Obama. And the question is, what does all this mean? And who's behind all this? So I'm going to really, uh, this is really part two of the, uh, the uh, divine plan of creation, especially as it relates to current events, and especially as it relates to the, what's called the uh, messianic era, you know, what, what, what the, pre the precursors to the messianic era. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. Uh, and, and after tonight, you will really have an understanding of what are the forces in play here. And, they, you know, they, these ideas answer a tremendous amount of questions. I just raised one. You know, why is Obama still involved? But uh, it'll answer many questions. So where do we begin? What we begin with the major character, the main player of what's happening. Who is that? That's a sudden. Uh, you know, <clears throat> we don't realize the incredible involvement that the Sutton, Satan, whatever you want to call the guy, or the Malach, I should say, he is a main player of, of what happens in the world. And I want to talk, you know, somewhat about that <clears throat> because it's very important to understand the nature and the consequences of what the Sutton did as to what happened to his role <clears throat> in the divine agenda itself. Now, <clears throat> we were introduced to the Sultan. He's a Malach, of course. And his job is what's called Dinam, justice. You know, and as such, he has three roles. The first role is that he is a tempter. He's the Yetzirah. He tries to get people, tempts them, to sin. And he's quite good at it, actually. The second role he has is if a person sins, right, he changes his role, or his hat, actually, and he becomes the sultan, which means the accuser, you know, the one who prosecutes in a heavenly tribunal against the person who sinned. And the third role that he has, remember, this is all part of justice, is the executioner. Not that he kills people, well, that's really also part of his job, Mahamovas. But what he does also is he responsible for the execution of the punishment itself. So we, 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 here we have a Malach who really is in charge of dinam, justice, you see. And that's what he does. But something happened to the Malach himself. And it's very important for us to understand because that determines what is happening actually today, which is incredible when you think about that. And this is all based on the history of the Sultan himself. Now, in the beginning, the Sultan was 
or the spokesman for the Satan was the Nachosh, the snake, it's called the primordial snake. And as his job of Yetzirah, <clears throat> he tried to persuade, obviously, Chava, the wife of Odom Horishan, to sin by eating from the tree, you know, the knowledge of good and evil. And he, of course, was successful. What was his argument? I mentioned this uh, previously, but it's very important to understand the argument he presented. What he said was that you think God is supreme. He's not. And this is what Rashi says. God ate from the tree that he forbade you not to eat, and Adam, and he ate from the tree. And because of that, he became God. That's what the Sultan said. Now, in one incredible conversation, the Sultan committed three sins, which is interesting. First of all, it was a lie. God doesn't eat from any tree to become God. He is God. In and of himself, he's infinite. In fact, he's incomprehensible. So the Sultan lied in order to get Chava to think, right, that she could become like God. And he says that. Yisim Kelokim, and you will be his God if you eat from the tree. So that was pure Mitzishemra, which is defamation of God. He diminished God. He denigrated God, which was a lie. The second thing he said, right, was not only God ate from the tree, he also was guilty of what's called Ruchilus. Uh, so what, he, what Ruchilus is, is that if you talk against somebody else, right, and the one you're talking to is the person that is a victim of somebody else's injustice, then that person, the listener, the receiver, will hate the person who did this to him. That's called Rechilus. In other words, the listener is actually part of the report. So what he said was, you think God means for your good? No. He is jealous. Uh, he doesn't want any competitors. He doesn't want you to eat from the tree. So all of a sudden, Chava would say, wait a minute. I thought that he was doing this for good purposes, righteous purposes. Instead, it's selfish. He's self-interested. He doesn't want any competition. Uh, so therefore, she now had a very negative view of God. Because she was the victim of God's, you know, uh, um, capriciousness and so on. That's Rechilus, you see. And what, she, what the Sultan did is he engendered hatred between Chava and eventually Odom to God, you see. Uh, so that's the second thing that the Sultan did. He lied, right, and he spoke Rechilus. And of course, he also spoke Lashon Hara, right? He denigrated God to Chava, and ultimately she denigrated God to other Mauritian. So in the first recorded conversation in history, you already had Lashon Hara, which is speech that harms another person. You had Rechilis, right, which engenders hatred between the receiver because he becomes a victim of the perpetrator, right? And then Maitishema, which is a lie, the defamation. So imagine in the first recorded conversation in history, you already had Roshan Hora, Rechilus, and Mechishemra. What did God do? Now God, what God did is absolutely fascinating. So what God did is the following. He said, from now on, you exist. How? Because I give forth divine energy. It's called sparks of holiness. And that's how you survive. And you're like every other malach, right? Every other angel, in that your existence is stable. It doesn't depend on anybody else, right? It's stable. You don't, you don't grow and you don't diminish. You remain the way you are. Because all malachim remain the same. The way they were created is the way they remain. But what God said is the following, you know, because you did what you did, Therefore, I will do several things to you. From now on, you will vie with man in trying to take the divine sparks. And the only way a person can survive is by being unique 
eating or, or, or nourishing, feeding from those divine sparks. You see? So from now on, you will no longer get those divine sparks directly to you. You will compete with man for a certain amount of divine sparks. So, if he does my will, then he will get those sparks, energy, and he will grow tremendously in being. And you, since you don't have access to those sparks that he's taking, you will diminish. And ultimately, if he takes all of it, you will die. You and your entire entourage of angels that work together with you. If, however, he sins, then you will be able to take his sparks and survive. You see. So you are dependent on man's behavior, which ultimately, of course, became the Jew's behavior. So we are in the relationship with the Sultan. It's like a seesaw. When we are up, he's down. And when we are down, he's up. It's called a reciprocal relationship. We're never equal with him, you see. So what God did is he made the existence or the survival of an angel called the Sultan dependent on the Jew. And therefore the Sultan is the only angel that can grow. Because if the Jew sins, then the Sultan grows in power. That's called Tigbur Sarah. And if the Jew does mitzvahs, then the Sultan diminishes. That's a very important idea. That the Sultan survives only because the Jews give him the sparks of holiness. You see. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that the Sultan is no longer like a regular angel. He grows. Right? He actually grows. He changes his being based on the amount of sparks that he gets. So that's the second thing. But what God did is also something incredible. He allowed, because the Sutton grows, the Sutton is under an illusion which God now puts into his mind. You see, because he's the only angel that can grow and expand in greatness and being. So the Sutton now thinks that if he gets enough sparks of holiness, he can equal God. Yes, it's astounding. This is called the Merida of the Sultan, the rebellion of the Sultan. Now the Sultan knows that God is unequal, but he thinks that ultimately he can equal God. Now the Ramchal talks about this, Rabbi Moshe Chaim talks about this in Das Tfunois Chedek Beis. And he doesn't talk much about it, because it's an incredible concept that a Malach should think that ultimately if he gets enough sparks of holiness, then his being can grow to equal God. But God allows him to think that. Why? Because of measure for measure. That's why. Because the Sutton denigrated God, you see. So therefore, the Sutton is under the illusion that God can be den- denigrated. Of course, when the Sutton did it, he lied, and he knew he lied. But because he is now under the illusion, because he actually can grow, you see, he actually thinks that God can be weakened or minimized. And that is his punishment. That he walks around or flies around, whatever he does, right? With this false illusion of who he is and what he can become. Very important concept. That's an oinish. It's a punishment, you see. So, again, because he can grow, he is under that illusion which is a punishment for the fact that he lied to Chava and then Adam, and therefore he is responsible for the terrible downfall of mankind. Because he lied to them. What he should have said is that, you know, uh, not lied to them, he should have just said that you could be like God. Without denigrating God and saying God ate in the tree, he didn't have to do that, which is Russian horror, Rechilus, he didn't have to do that, right? But he did. And he knew he was lying. So his punishment is that he actually suffers from the illusion that he lied about. You see? Now, that's the first concept. Is that it's an earnest to him to have that illusion. But there's another concept very important about this, uh, this entire change or transformation of the sudden from a real malach to a malach that grows.
and thinks that ultimately if it takes enough sparks, it can, it can increase its being, you see. Because this gave the Sutton what's called a self-interest. Because he thinks that he can survive and grow and equal God, he now has an incredible self-interest in getting Jews to sin. It's not because he wants to do the, the mission that God gave him. No. He wants to survive, grow, and become equal to God. This gives him what? This gives him a self-desire, a motive, why he wants to get Jews to sin. But since he has a motive, right, he can be bribed if God presents to him, right, the possibility of getting more kedusha, getting more sparks of holiness. And the ability to bribe the sultan is very important, and God does that. It's called shoychad the sultan, right? It's called bribery to the sultan. What does that mean? Well, the sultan says, you know, the sultan, his job is to makatreg, right, which is prosecute. So God says, okay, your prosecution is correct, right? That's his job, right? And really, I should punish the Jews. But you know what I'll do? <clears throat> I'll give you something that will allow you to think that you can get the Jews to sin. Uh, so the Sultan says to him, that's great, because now I can get, if I can get them to sin, I can get more Kedusha. I can get greater being. You see, so he becomes subject to bribery. Why? Because he has what's called self-interest. And that allows God in many ways to avoid executing justice to the Jews, hoping that they will do tshuva, repent. And this is numerous amount of times that God does this. Uh, you see, for instance, I'll give you one example. Uh, for instance, you know, God says to the Sutton, okay, you know, I want to bring Eretz Yisrael to the Jews. So the Sutton says, what do you mean give Eretz Yisrael to the Jews? They don't deserve this. And based on justice, you should not do this. So God says, you're right, but here's what I'll do. I will allow your people, the ones that you can influence to do evil, they will, right, be responsible for the creation of the state of Israel. Enter Theodore Herzl. You see, so the Sutton says to himself, wait a minute, that's not a bad idea. Because they will so, uh, what do you call it, contaminate the state that they will get all the Jews that come there to sin. And if the Jews sin, bingo, I can get more to eat and more to survive, and hopefully equal God. You see, that's called a bribe. You see, so God, so the Sultan allowed Israel to be formed, whatever it was, let's say in 1898, whatever, right? He allowed it, you see, even though they don't really deserve it. Why? Because his self-interest dictates that he's going to get something for it, you see. So that's called a bribery, and this goes on, so many times, and this allows God to avoid punishing the Jews in terms of justice. So that is a very important concept, you see, that the Sutton can be bribed, you see. But what's also very important is this, is that's a punishment to the Sutton. Because since he can grow, guess what? He can also be diminished, right? Which means he can be annihilated. Because if all the Jews do all the mitzvahs, or if they suffer enough, and they get a kapora, an atonement, he will die. It's astounding to think about that. He will die. And therefore, because he can grow, he can also diminish. And because he can be diminished, he can be annihilated. You see, so that's the greatest punishment to him, is that he thinks that growth is great. But that also subjects him to the ability to, uh, to be uh, vanquished and ultimately to be annihilated. And that's really what happens in the end. As we see, there's a famous uh, song at the end of Pesach by the Agoda, right? You know, Chad Jadja, where it says that he will be shechted. And there is really an, an argument what happens to the Sultan in the end. We know the Sultan, of course, is annihilated. But is he really annihilated? or he becomes a good malach, where God removes the illusion from which he thought, you see. And that's an argument. 
But it would seem that because of the terrible sin that he did, to Sutton that is, right? Because mankind fell because of his lies and denigration of God and so on, right? That God will annihilate the Sutton, ultimately. And the one who does that is Mashiach bin David. It's the end of the satanic influence of mankind. And that is why one of the ideas that the world changes because the Sutton dies. In any case, this, what I just told you, is very important. So look at the benefits that the Sutton is punished by having the illusion that God can be denigrated and therefore he can be raised, right, and enhanced. One, it's a punishment to the Sutton. Two, that he can grow. But that growth means he can also be annihilated. Three, right, that he can be bribed and therefore it averts a tremendous amount of what? Of the punishment that the Jews would get, you see. And this comes from what's called the Merida, the rebellion of the Sutton. And that all started in the beginning of time. Now this is a very important introduction to the Sutton. And the reason for that is the following. Because we are now in 2022, right? That's where we're at now, Tufshin Pei Beis. Believe it or not, the Sutton is dying because the thousands of years of Jewish, of Jews, you know, doing mitzvahs and also suffering in the exile has taken back an enormous amount of the sparks that the Sutton has acquired. And by the way, that's the way the Jews do it. They take it back Right, if they do tshuva, repentance, and they take back, they empty him out, or they diminish the amount of sparks, right, if they suffer. And exile is one of the primary ways of suffering. So at the present time, the Sutton is dying, right? Doesn't look that way, but he is, you see. And 98% of all his sparks of holiness is now in the hands of the Jews. Because they take it back. It's called the Sitra de Kedusha, the side of holiness, as opposed to his side, which is called the Sitra Achro, the other side. <clears throat> so really, in many ways, he's dying. And he's dying because of the Jews. So what does he do? The Sutton is dying, and he knows it's bad news for him. So when you think about it, <clears throat> this is what he does. He has only one of three strategies that he can employ. And a good example, for instance, is a general. A general that is conducting a war, right, with another nation. And let's assume that the, the nation the, of the general is down to the last week of firepower, armaments. And that's it. It's got one week left. And if he runs out of that, it's over. So he basically has three strategies. What are they? Well, what he could do is what's called the great bluff. He can throw six days of the seven at the enemy, right? And he's hoping to bluff them, you see. And what that means is that the enemy will think that he has all this armaments or firepower left, so they'll sue for peace. That's one strategy. A second strategy that he will send people from his country into the enemy's territory, right? And they'll dress up as the citizens of that country and they'll try to break the resolve of that country by saying, well, we don't want war, we want to make peace. And that's really what happened in Vietnam. Where there was dissident saying, let's stop the war. And therefore he hopes that that nation will do what? They will stop the war. That's a second strategy. Third strategy is allies. That he will wire some of the allies, right? Look, I'm running out of uh, material because I, I did the bluff. Didn't work. I only have one day left. I need new armaments. Please send them. And if they send them, fine. If not, then they're finished. That's exactly what the Sultan does. And we will now understand from his point of view three very important events. The first event is the Holocaust. I mean, the Holocaust has many ideas to it from the perspective of God's 
plan to the perspective of the Sultan's strategy. What he was hoping is to involve all the nations of the world, right? We're not just talking about Germany, Ukraine, right? Poland, you know, uh, America that refused entry and the, the British that refused entry to the Jews and to Israel. All of them in some measure contributed to the destruction, the death of the Jewish people. And believe me, they're all going to be held tremendously responsible, you see. But they all contributed. See, he was hoping that this would frighten the Jews, right? Because they see the whole world is basically against them. Nobody's coming to their defense, right? And they will give up. They will say, God has abandoned us. And if God has abandoned us, so why, do we, why are we keeping the mitzvahs, right? Because the covenant, right, is no longer operative. That's what he's hoping. And of course, when Jews sin, that's when he gets the Kedusha. That's when he gets what? The sparks of holiness. That's what he was hoping. So from his perspective, the Holocaust is an incredible strategy that is the great bluff, you see. But did it work? No, it didn't work. Because Jews are slowly returning. There are many Jews that, on the contrary, did tremendous acts of, of righteousness because of the Holocaust. The main idea is that he failed, you see, to turn the Jews against God. Although, to a certain extent, probably... He did succeed, you know, with, in terms of the distractions, the reform movement, the conservative movement, many ideas. But overall, he failed. So therefore, what does he do, right? He goes to the second strategy, where he gets his own soldiers, so to speak, right, to go into the land of the enemy and to persuade them to give up. That is the founding of the state of Israel. He gets the Jews who want to give up Judaism, who are they? The Arab Rav. The Arab Rav are what? They are Jews that hold that the Torah is not unique, right? The Torah is great literature, but so is Shakespeare, right? And that we are really, as Shimon Peres said, we are Middle East citizens. The absolute nonsense of what he said. That's the Arab Rav that want to destroy to a certain extent, Judaism, you see, because they don't want to allow God to rule over the Jews. They want to rule. And they want to change the identity of a Jew, right, as a person who is a Hebrew with culture, not somebody who is into a contract with God. And that's what he does. In 1948, you have the state of Israel being founded, right, and he's hoping that these Erevrav, who are the basic secular Zionists, not the religious Zionists, but the secular Zionists, right, will take all the Jews coming to Israel, right, and make them irreligious, which is what they did. So that is the second strategy that the Sultan does. The third strategy, but that didn't work, because there's a tremendous amount of people in Israel, right, the religious whether it be Haredim or religious Zionists and so on, who, you know, follow the religion of God, who follow Judaism. So clearly the Sultan failed to influence the Jewish people in total. Therefore, what does the Sultan do? He engages in what's called the third strategy. He needs sparks of holiness, right, from somebody else. But here's the problem. The only one who could take sparks of holiness from where? From the Jews as a result of their sin, sins is who? Is uh, the Sultan. There is nobody else that has sparks of holiness. And the answer to that, as the Maharal says, no. There is one nation that has sparks of holiness by themselves. Who are they? The Muslims. The Arabs. Yes, that's right. The Arabs have their own sparks. They don't get it through the Sultan. Only Edom, right? Esau gets it through the Sultan, but not the Muslims or the Arabs. Why? Because Avram Avinu said, 
that Yishmael should live before you, which means that they should be able to take sparks from you directly and not through the sultan. Therefore, if the Arabs, in a certain sense, do the right thing, and they do a lot of things which resemble some of the mitzvahs of Judaism, and so on, then they get sparks, nitzitzit, kedusha, whatever, directly from God. This is what the morale says, you see? So therefore, what does the Sutton do? The Sutton walks over to the angel of Yishmol and says, I need sparks that you can take directly, because I'm running out of them. So the, the Malach of Yishmol says the following. He says, wait a minute, you know, you know until now, who is the firstborn? Who is the major character, right, of, of, of you, the Sultan? And the answer is Esau, who is Rome, who is Western civilization. You see, they're the main people. And therefore, Esau, or Edom, is dominant. If you want my sparks, right, that my people get, the Muslims, the Arabs, and so on, you need to make the Muslim, the Arab, dominant or the firstborn over Edom. If that's the case, fine. Therefore, my people, the Arabs, have to become dominant. That's an incredible statement that the Malach said. And by the way, and the Sultan says, okay, I will do that. Now, I want to point out something which is very important. There's a tremendous difference between Christianity, right, and Islam. Christianity seeks to convert the Jews to Christianity. Why? Because their angel, right, is the Satan, basically. And the Satan can only nourish, feed from the sparks of holiness that the Jews have. But he can only get those sparks if they sin. Therefore, Christianity seeks to convert the Jews so they will sin, so that their malach can feed. However, Yishmael doesn't need that, and that's who the Arabs are. They are Yishmael, right? They don't need that because they get sparks directly from heaven. Therefore, they're not interested in converting Jews, really. What they want is the Jews to submit, to surrender to them that they are the dominant nation. That's what they want. They're not interested really in, in converting Jews. What they want is that the Jews, they're called Dimis, right, should admit that they are the supreme nation, right, which is Ishmael, the Arabs, and not the Jews. So, depending on who the Malach is of the Ishmael or the Sultan, that actually determines their behavior when they conquer the Jewish people. In any case, this is what the Sultan says to the Malach of Yishmuel. And the Malach of Yishmuel says, okay, I'll do it if you agree that my people, the Arabs, that they will dominate over Edom. Now, who is Edom? Edom is who? Edom, basically, one of them is America, you see. And therefore, what happens is incredible. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, a Arab, a Muslim, right, who says that he's a Christian, but really he grew up as a Muslim, his father's a Muslim, right, even though he worshipped in a church, but really he's a Muslim, a closet Muslim, Barack Obama. Obama was voted in president, and that is an absolute miracle, because here's a man who had no experience whatsoever. What was he, a community organized in Chicago? How in the world does this guy, just because, and he was a fresh senator, become the president of the United States? But what's even more remarkable, you see, is that when you look at his inauguration, it wasn't an inauguration, right? It was really a, a, um, a coronation. People looked at him like he was the Messiah. If you remember in those days, right, in 2008, I mean, the, the expressions that were used to talk about him were almost messianic. And besides that, you see, uh, he had the House and the Senate that were with him together. So he had complete power over Edom, the United States. And he basically is a Muslim. 
So imagine a Muslim is the head of the United States. That is the deal that the Sultan made with the Malach of Yishmuel. That's why Obama became president. Now, what's interesting about that is from God's perspective, Yishmuel has to do tshuva also. Not only does Esau have to do tshuva, which I mentioned in the previous year, but Yishmuel also does tshuva, repent. Why? Because Yishmuel in the Torah did tshuva. What was the tshuva that he did in the Torah? You see, <clears throat> because he let Yitzchak, when Avram Avinu died, he let Yitzchak go first. And the Chazal learned that, that, that he did tshuva. He repented, you see. So therefore, in the end of time, Yishmuel will do tshuva. So really, when you think about it, from God's perspective, Obama, right, his mission really was to bring the Arabs, the Muslims, to do tshuva and have tremendous peace with Israel. But the problem was, of course, is that Obama's character... Now, Obama is, an inc- Obama is an incredibly arrogant person. Very arrogant. And because of that, he never did it. Instead, right after he becomes president, he actually denigrated the Jewish people, right? And he defended the Arabs in terms of what they're doing and so on. <clears throat> in any case, he became the spokesman for the Muslims. Instead of be- bringing peace between Ishmael, the Arabs, and the Jews, he exacerbated the distinction or the difference. So he failed in doing his mission. So therefore, that mission of bringing peace between Ishmael to allow them to repent, right? That was given instead to Trump. That's what happened. And Trump did that. What did he do? He did the Abraham Accords. So Obama could have had that, but he failed because of his own megalomania, his own incredible arrogance, and so on. So that was given over to Trump, and Trump would have succeeded totally had it not been for something I mentioned last week, which is God has to satisfy justice if he presses the restart button, which he did, which I talked about last week. So we have what's happening an incredible concept that the Satan is dying, you see, and in order to allow the, the Malach of Yishmael, right, to, uh, to give him sparks of holiness, which they get, right, then what he has to do is allow the, uh, the Muslim, Obama, to reign, which is exactly what he did for eight years, you see. <clears throat> so what we now see is a tremendous thing there's a war going on. What's the war? <clears throat> because there's what's called the evil of Yishmuel, the Rasha of Yishmuel. Who is that? That's Obama and the people who are with him, what's called the, the, the uh, uh, secret state. Okay? And you have the same war as Esau, the evil of Esau, warring with the Tevshab Esau. The evil of Esau wars with the good part of Esau. I had mentioned last week, who's the good part of Esau? The part of Esau that has to do tshuva. The part of Edom that has to do tshuva, repentance. It's Trump, like I mentioned last week, and so on. And they are warring with the evil of Edom. You see, and who are they, right? They are the Democratic Party, the progressives, the liberals. This is really what we're witnessing, we are witnessing the war between the evil of Edom and the good part of Edom, you see. And since the Satan is dying, he has to keep up the whole concept of Yishmoel, right, reigning over Edom. <clears throat> and therefore, what we are now witnesses is really satanic. That's really what we're seeing. This, you, you'll notice one thing that... <clears throat> There's a concept called Trump mania. We've never seen that before. We've never seen so many people in the United States that hate Trump. It's an obsession to destroy the man. In fact, this whole January 6th, uh, what do you call it, uh, Congressional Committee, 
is out to destroy Trump. That's all it wants, is to defame him where the American people will not vote for him in 2024. Why is that? Because they know Trump made a tremendous mistake. You should know. He underestimated the power or the resolve of evil, you see, to destroy him. And they did. We know that Hillary paid off the, uh, the dossier, so in a certain sense she got him back. And he said that he would put her in jail for all the felonies that she did. He failed to understand the resolve of evil. Tremendous mistake. And they know that if he becomes president, he will destroy the establishment. He'll go after them, because that's what his nature is. He will teach them a lesson that they'll never forget. And they know that. That's why they are deathly afraid, and they'll do anything to get him to fail to be president, which means try to find a crime that he did or whatever. But all of this is satanic. Why? Because the Sutton doesn't want Trump. Trump, since he's doing tshuva, he's the ace of doing tshuva, he will assist the Jewish people to do the tikkun. And that will destroy him, the Sutton. That's exactly why the whole concept of what's happening to America, the tremendous split in America, is satanic. It's the Sahara who is getting everybody who he can influence, right, to destroy Trump, to destroy, you know, the conservatives, those people who want to restore uh, America back to its normal, uh, you know, normal uh, position. This is what's happening, you see. <clears throat> and what Trump has done, of course, is a tremendous thing, you know, I mean, take a look at what he's done in terms of assisting the Jewish people. Like I mentioned last week, the uh, Abraham Accords is one. Well, he actually began what should have, he should have won the Nobel Prize for this. I mean, nobody did this before. Of course he didn't, because people hate him. But he actually began the process where Yishmael, the Arabs, are doing tshuva. Where are they are now going to work with Israel, you see, even if it's because of the fear of Iran. But they also recognize that Israel is an incredibly progressive nation. High-tech, water conservation, agriculture. There are so many things that Israel is a world leader. And they realize that. That they have everything to gain if they join with Israel. You see. And besides that, Trump declared Jerusalem to be the capital. He moved the embassy to Jerusalem. He recognized the Golan. Just incredible what he did, right? He shut down the consulate in Jerusalem that was for the Arabs, the Muslims themselves. He shut that down. He fought the UN when they did things against the Jewish people, Israel. I mean, it's just incredible what the man did, you see, because that's who he is. He's Esav, Edom, doing tshuva. And the Sutton's hates him. In fact, the Sutton is trying to destroy him. So you are witnessing a satanic attempt to destroy him because if he is let loose, he will destroy, right? He will destroy the ability of the Sutton to survive. So he is an enemy not only of so many people, the Democratic Party, but he's an incredible enemy of the Trump, uh, excuse me, of the Sutton, and the Sutton is trying to destroy him. And that is why you see this incredible obsession to destroy Trump. It is satanic. It's not normal. Believe me, it never happened in American history before. Now, the problem is this, that if Obama is the compromise between the Malach of Yishmael and the Malach of, uh, and the Sutton of Edom, right, that can only last. How long? It can only last for two terms. Because a president cannot be more... It cannot be a president more than two terms. So therefore, we would think that maybe the deal's off. No. Because what happened is incredible. Biden is a pawn in the hands of Obama. Yeah, we know Biden doesn't run America. He's not capable of doing that. Everybody knows he's a puppet. Then who's running him? Who's running Biden? And the answer is Obama. In other words... The Sutton has found a way, 
and the angel of Yishmael, where his guy can still be president. How? By having a proxy called Joe Biden. You see? And all of this is satanic. And that's why Biden is doing exactly what Obama did. Obama was a terrible president, economically in so many different ways, right? By giving uh, Iran the ability to build a bomb. I'm not going to go into the, all what Obama did to harm America. It was terrible, right? So he continues through Biden. That means Yishmael still rules Edom, you see. And Biden is doing exactly what Obama did, right? I mean, think about that. The inflation, destroying America. Gas is over $5, right? There's an incredible influx of illegal immigration. Millions of, uh, of, uh, of immigrants that are illegal, they're coming in. They're not vetted and so on, right? And then this enormous amount of crime in the cities, you see, in the cities of America. Biden is slowly destroying America, and the incredible thing is that he did it. In what? In one year. It's unbelievable how he changed America. All because, in many ways, he's a puppet of Obama and maybe other people, Susan Rice or Ron Clayman uh, or whatever. They all are running him, especially the Democratic Party, <clears throat> you know. And what's interesting, which is, uh, it's worth saying, if you think about it, New York is the, is the beauty and the might of America. And it's coming to an end. Because it says in the Tefillah of Tachnam, How long will your strength, your might, be in captivity? And your beauty be at so in the hands of the enemy. America as Edom has a tremendous amount of beauty and might, which is success. And New York is the shining example of that. But since America is now being destroyed, right, not only because of Yishmael, but they're being destroyed because they have become an incredibly immoral country, LGBTQ, terrible what's happening, and they are a beacon to the world, so they're going to destroy the world with it, and I mentioned that all last week, right? Then God is destroying New York. And that's what it is, that the beauty, the might of America, of Edom, is now going back to who? to the Jewish people, you see. And Israel is rising to start up nation, you see. Why? Because the Oizen Tferes is a product of the sparks of holiness in the hands of the Satan. And that's why Edom has it. But if the Satan is losing all that, then the beauty and the might, the success, has, uh, and the sparks have to go back to the Jews, which means that now Israel is rising, you know, it's called a startup nation for a reason. But that's what's happening. It is rising because the Sutton is bereft of the sparks. And therefore the manifestation of the sparks in the hands of the Sutton is beauty and might in the hands of Edom. But since the Sutton doesn't have the sparks, it's being lost. And that is the reason why New York is falling and they cannot aright themselves. They don't know how. It's astounding to watch, you know, how many people are murdered in New York, you know. I'm not even talking about Chicago, that's murder city. Thousands of people have been murdered, right, in Chicago, and it's all over the United States. San Francisco, Seattle, Los Angeles, right, Minneapolis, uh, St. Louis, and so on, without going to all the cities. All of them are being destroyed. That's what Biden is doing in cahoots together with Obama, you see. So we are watching what's called the ultimate war that Edom is being destroyed primarily because of the stance that it has taken of LGBTQ, you see. <clears throat> so I wanted to mention this aspect of what's happening, that there's a war of America. America is now at civil war, but not militarily, but politically. Yes, America is a divided country. Why? Because it's being destroyed by Biden and Obama and all the other people of the secret state and so on. And this is the concept 
of the evil of Yishmoel and the evil of Edom taking domination, you see. <clears throat> you know. uh, there's a certain idea also which is interesting. We know that the Supreme Court, they reversed Roe versus Wade, which is very good, actually. Even though they didn't do away with abortion, they returned it to the states. Do you know how many babies were killed in the 50 years or 49 years that Roe versus Wade was in operation? 66 million babies were aborted. Do you believe that? So America, in many ways, has committed the murder of 60 million, 66 million babies, which is incredible. So at least the Supreme Court has, re- has reversed that and at least begun the beginning where the federal government is no longer in charge, but each state legislature will be in charge, which hopefully, hopefully will reduce enormously the amount of abortions that are, that are performed in America. <clears throat> But what's interesting, I find, is God, God exacts punishment on the Supreme Court. Why? Because in the elections that took place where Trump lost and Biden won, right, there's no question that Pennsylvania, what they did was illegal and unconstitutional because only the state legislatures can determine or change the voting laws in that state. Meanwhile, the governor, secretary of state, Right? and the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania, they actually changed the voting laws, which meant that the vote in Pennsylvania is completely illegal. So Texas sued Pennsylvania in the Supreme Court because they said, what do you mean? Your illegal you know, uh, idea of the Constitution, what you did was illegal and unconstitutional, that affects our ability to vote for a president. Because what's the point? But the Supreme Court ignored that because they said to Texas, incredibly, you have no standing. But wait a minute, the Supreme Court is the ultimate jury. It's the ultimate court, right, that is responsible for Bnei Noach, Noachides, right, which is what they are, whatever, to uphold the Constitution. So God said, imagine, because you have degraded, right, your ability to obey the laws, right, which you yourself are the ultimate authority, then you will be degraded in the eyes of America. And all of a sudden, because of Roe versus Wade, there were demonstrations in the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court has lost a tremendous amount of respect, right, uh, respect and, and uh, legitimacy right, in the eyes of the American people as a punishment because they refuse to exercise what they are, is that they are the Supreme Court responsible for the ultimate justice and they allow the elections to be fake, certainly in Pennsylvania, which was illegal. What do you mean Texas has no standing? What kind of nonsense is that? That's what they said. You know, they have their, for whatever reason, in any case, what I've tried to introduce is what is happening. I brought down the history of the Sultan, what happened, and how he's so different than every other Malach in order to help the Jewish people survive. And the Jews have, in many ways, brought him to his knees, and he knows that. So that's why he has been able to influence America in an insane way, you see, to try to destroy Trump, because Trump is the greatest enemy of the Sutton, you see, because his job, right, as Esau doing tshuva, is to assist the Jews, which he has done in a remarkable way. So therefore, what the Sutton has done is influenced America to go against Trump. Uh, But that has caused a tremendous political civil war, which is very dangerous, see, and America is a divided country now, and you never know where that will lead. <clears throat> but it's amazing what's happening in terms of Yishmoel, that they still dominate America because Obama is still, he's a president in secret. He directs uh, Biden. 
and therefore the Satan is able to be unique. He's able to take from the Kedusha those sparks he's able to take because of the prayer of Avram Avinu. He's able to take, right, these things and survive. So what is fascinating is that this is the underlying, you know, uh, operational dynamics of what is happening in America, you see. <clears throat> and, of course, the Sultan is doing desperate things to get Israel, that the heir of Rav should lead Israel to destroy, you know, the Jews' ability to observe the Torah, which he has done by allowing the government of the heir of Rav. You know, we have this guy Bennett and Lapid, and Lieberman, and so on, <clears throat> that it, uh, it has been the worst government in the history of Israel, right, to destroy Jewish tradition and to war against the Torah-observant community. This is all satanic. Make no mistake. It is all satanic so the Satan can get people to sin and be unique and to feed off the sparks of holiness. Because the bottom line is, he is dying. Yes. And the good news is that he will die. Yes. He and all his Malchi Chavola, all the angels that assist him, will vanish. You see? And in many ways, that is shocking. <clears throat> you see? And I will end with, one, uh, with a Medrash. It's a Medrash in Yalkut Shemoni in 499 in Sefi Yishayom that says this, that God hides the messianic light under his throne, you see. And the messianic light is a complete revelation of the presence of God, which I once explained. So the Sultan saw that. So he asked God, what is that? What is that light that you're concealing? So the God said to him, I will show you. And he revealed the messianic light to the Sultan. And it says when that when the Sultan saw the Messianic light, which is a complete revelation of the presence of God, it's a complete overturning of the darkness of creation. It says that the Sultan shook Nizdazea from fear because he realized that he'll never succeed. Now it doesn't say that he realized that he will not exist. What God hid from him is not that he will not exist, but that God will ultimately bring a redemption to the Jewish people where he will no longer hold sway over the Jews. But I, I, but it doesn't say that God showed him of his own demise, you know, because then he would realize that the whole thing makes no sense. So God didn't do that because he still wants him to operate. But the Sultan did see the messianic light. And he realized that ultimately what will happen is the Jews will reign supreme without evil. I mean, we cannot even begin to understand what the Satan does to a human being, you know, what he does to the Jews. He's able to conceal, to hide, and to cover the, 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 the Jews' ability to, to come close to God. And in the end, it's basically satanic. So someday that will all end. Death will end. Disease will end. But not only that, but the inability to see God, the inability to know God, and the inability to experience God will end with his demise. So let's hope that on these three weeks, which we are now in, that this is exactly what's going to happen. You know, and uh, hopefully uh, these three weeks will ultimately lead to a Tishba, which is not even uh, the fast day, because Tishba is this year, so it's a Nidche, it's been pushed off to Sunday. So let's hope that once it's been pushed off, it will end, and it will no longer be the Tishba of tremendous grieving and sadness and despair. On the contrary, it says the Mashiach bin David, right, is born on Tishba, right? That's what it says. Not that he's born literally on that day, but the fact that the Jews mourn and that they have been in exile for thousands of years, that merit gives birth to the Mashiach bin David. And that merit, you see. So let's hope that this is it, that we are now coming down to the end with a sudden 
will now evaporate or annihilate and the whole world will experience the true glory of God himself.